Welcome to L'Arte de l'Arme, the Bolognese podcast, where we discuss the intricacies of the Bolognese tradition with the practitioners, translators, authors, and teachers working to bring the art back to life. This week's guest is the Vadi master himself, Mr. Connor Kim Kao. Connor is by far one of my favorite fencers in HEMA. His dedication to and utilization of canonical techniques doesn't only look amazing, it's helped him make the finals and scores of tournaments across the U.S. He's a dedicated scholar that doesn't take himself too seriously, keeps kindness, equity, and courtesy in the forefront of his affront on the HEMA community, where he's helped bring body from the fringes of the collective conscious into the imaginations of practitioners of every discipline. Connor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. And let me say, it's crazy to hear that in person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, you know, you've honestly, you are one of my favorite fencers to watch. I mean, I, I think oh. the the first time I got a chance to, to talk to you at an event, it was um, right after IGX in 2018. And I just walked up to you and I, I remember just like shaking your hand. I was like, dude, that fight against Arto Pharma was the coolest <laughs> thing that I have ever seen. Because <laughs> it was such a great fight. It was incredible. Um, but one of the reasons why I love your fencing so much is because you don't pull any punches when it comes to fencing from a historical perspective. Um, the way that you fight um, transitioning between guards, um, everything that you do is 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 strictly historical. Um, I rarely, if, if ever, have seen you do something that's just doing it because it works in a, in a tournament setting. And the fact that you've been so successful with your tournament career in doing that makes you one of my absolute favorite fencers. So um, it's an honor to have you. Thank you so fucking much that the, the, the whole the whole reason why I go to tournaments in the first place, other than to meet the fantastic people and, and get to get to share what I what I practice and what I what I've learned over over my scant few years of doing HEMA is I, I want to be an exemplar of the fact that if you go to competition and you are willing to compete and you are you are interested in that facet of this great big science experiment that we have that's called HEMA is that you can get the stuff in the books to work as long as you put the work into it. And being hearing you say that means that part of my goal has been accomplished. So <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's incredible. So, I mean, you, you've kind of come from a, a perspective of studying Vadi, but recently um, you've started to really kind of look into the Bolognese sources and, and start you know, learning the, the, the good art, the true art. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. <laughs> so, um, before, actually, before we get into that, tell me, tell me about how you got into HEMA. Tell me a little bit about your martial arts background. Okay. So like I didn't do any real martial arts. I don't have any martial arts background except for HEMA. Um, I found out about HEMA, uh, maybe like seven years ago, um, because I'm a big fucking nerd. It, it, am I okay to curse? Can I curse? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. No, I'll, yeah, I'll throw no. in an explicit tag on there and you know, <laughs> people can just take that for what they will. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a giant fucking nerd. Um, and I have been running and playing Dungeons and Dragons for like nine years. Some, some, some shit like that. Right. Awesome. Um, and I wanted to learn how to describe sword combat better in D and D. So, uh, you know, I went on YouTube and I was just like, 
medieval fencing. And the like one of the first things that popped up was um, Bratis, uh, Bratislavsky, Sears, uh, Sears Narki, or however you pronounce it in, in Slovakian, um, Martin Fabian, uh, Martin Fabian's club, um, and like him and uh, Anton Kuotovic doing or, or actually no no it was Anton Kuotovic Anton Kuotovic's video of them doing like hardcore um, recreation of the plays from from the RDL sources and I was I, I, I watched it and I was like I want to do that I want that to be me <laughs> yeah. so like there was like a good two-year period where I had discovered HEMA and I knew what it was and I was just using it to help like describe like encounters with different like monsters and bandits and, and shit. Um, and then one fateful one fateful trip down to Dragon Con with uh, with my ex at the time, uh, I went to uh, Dragon Con, which is in Atlanta, Georgia, and I encountered... Um, I, I think it was the Atlanta Fry Factor. I'm not entirely sure. It's been a few years. Um, Probably was, yeah. They yeah. do that almost every year. Yeah. They they were teaching like a basic intro to HEMA class there, and so I was like, "Yo, here's this thing that I've been that I've been like just like kind of like looking at for for two or three years that I could actually have the chance to do it." And so you know, I went there, I did the thing, and then I got back home to Philadelphia after the the con, and I was like you know what? I wonder if there's a HEMA group nearby. I looked, looked up, you know, like Philadelphia HEMA and come to find out there's, there's somebody only 20 minutes away from me. Um, so I went there and it's been history. It's been, it's been, uh, it's been like that ever since I ended up being the head instructor of my club now. Um, and yeah, that's, that, that's, that's where we're at my guy. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's awesome. And you know, uh, so many times, even I think this is even in Marazzo, um, or at least in, in Manchiolino. It's one of the Bolognese sources. They talk about how um, you can basically judge the quality of an instructor. It's probably Manchiolino because he likes to talk shit about Marazzo, so we think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and so I, he says something along the lines of, "You can judge the quality of an instructor based on their students." Um, and and it's not just the fact that you are a fantastic fencer. Um, your students and the people who have come out of the Philly Common Fencers Guild are all fantastic fencers, um, and and I think that speaks volumes to to what you're doing and your ability to convey ideas and things like that. Um, so, thank you. Yeah. Um, the 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 other thing is too uh, the, the the other wrinkle to that story is is how I got attached to to Vadi and how I ended up going on this this great long experiment into into making this shit work uh and that that comes from uh a fateful day where like i was obsessed with with great swords when i first got into when i first got into hema and because i'm a massive dark souls fan uh and i like was asking my instructor uh grant meyer like over and over again it's like yo can we get somebody out to do to do great sword can we get somebody out to do great sword and so he asked um Ah, oh, James Clark, James Clark to, yeah. to come out and, and teach a teach a class on on uh, on Montante um, or Spadone. And so he he did a class on Alfieri. And afterwards, um, I, I asked him about um, like the earlier Italian sources, because I initially started off doing Fiore. Fiore was like my main thrust in our club in its infancy was a common fencing curriculum with a sprinkle of of Meyer kind of tossed into the mix but i was the the lone italian fencer who who yeah i was that guy 
<laughs> I was a lone Italian fencer and I was I had something to prove. So I was like, James Reed is is do you think Fiore is cool? What what do you know about Fiore, James Reed? And uh, James James Reed, why am I saying James Reed? James James Clark. James Clark, what do you think do you think Fiore is cool, James Clark? And James <laughs> Clark was like yeah, Fiore, Fiore is a really interesting and awesome source, but you know, I think that Filippo Vadi has a lot more constructive system to it and is a lot easier to say. I mean, it's a lot easier to 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 like parse and read. And I was like, huh, okay, you know what? I'm gonna give that guy, I'm gonna give that give that guy a shot. And uh one of the things that uh that set me apart early on was just like hitting those books. I love reading the sources. I I can I can, I can never feel like I have time lost if I spend time reading reading the text. So I got home that day and I instantly went on Wicked Howard and I looked up I looked up Avadi and I I read and I read and I read for for days at a time over and over again and it clicked. It made so much sense to me. And, uh, you know, I, I asked online, I did a lot of research trying to figure out if there was anything out there for him and there just was nothing. Um, the closest thing I could find was, you know, looking at the Bolognese stuff, you know, looking at Manchilino, looking at Marazzo, looking at, um, yeah, no, mostly, mostly Manchilino, Marazzo, um, and a lot of the, the, the videos for sword and for sword alone that, uh, CSG had done was like the closest kind of like approximation I had, I could, I could find. And so I was like, there's a lot of cool stuff in this book that people aren't doing that needs to change. Um, and, then I ended up stumbling upon uh, Jamie McKeever's work. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Jamie, um, but he also kind of had a very similar story where he stumbled upon uh, Vadi or was asked to research a uh, like a, like a source that was uh, well, that was uncommon. And so he was. He also had a similar story of, of finding Vadi and was like, "Yo, this shit's cool. Nobody's doing it. Why don't I put out stuff for it?" And so like he was my guiding light in the darkness of the internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah that's um that's really awesome and so now that you've um now we can get back to to kind of transitioning into the bolognese sources because yes. you've come back to the bolognese so now that you have kind of gone through started out with the bolognese and then transitioned into looking at vadi and then coming back to Marazzo, um how do you how do you see that in like context and comparison like how does that lay out for you? So, uh, good question. Um, when I first started off looking at the Bolognese sources, um, you know, the, the the transitional period between like the early or the earlier medieval texts like Fiore and Vadi into like the hardcore, like everything is laid out as clearly as it possibly can be um, stuff in the Bolognese. I'm glad I waited to have an understanding of how Fiore and Vadi worked before I touched upon um, the Bolognese stuff because uh, you know one, one of the, one of the things about Bolognese that I found personally um, was that there is so much information that's just kind of like put on you from the get um, that it was it was very difficult for me to interface with. But coming back to it now after I've after I've um, put in my dues and I've I've spent my time with with Vadi uh, Vadi in particular. Um, it, it reads crystal clear. It's 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 no problem for me. Um, I, I think the the biggest difference, um, and and I, I really would say this for for most masters, if you're going to be doing a comparison and contrasting type deal, is tactics. Uh, like nine times out of ten, um, you know everybody likes to say that there's no new thing under the sun. Um, 
and that it really comes down to the preference of the master that you're reading um, and how they apply technical, um, how they apply uh, technique into, into a situation. Um, like Murazzo in particular with his two-handed sword, um, if we're comparing and contrasting him to Vadi, um, has a lot more, um, has a lot different idea of how to, of how to constrain an opponent um, in my opinion, uh, as opposed to, as opposed to body, you know, I, I, I think that, um, it, it does, it doesn't help that Marazzo's writing is kind of all over the fucking place. Um, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he had, a, he had, a, he had a lot to say and I love him for that. Uh, <laughs> um, but specifically when it comes to the material of the two-handed sword and Marazzo, um, it all kind of follows that same general Italian way of, of seeing what guard your opponent is in, like aligning yourself to that, assessing how you're going to kind of get their sword either on the line or off the line, um, and th through the process of that constraining, hitting them, and then covering yourself on the way out. And the way I would see Murazzo do that would be through like some type of complex feint, uh, like a, a threat that changes like on a high line or a low line that then comes into something else. Um, you hit and then you do your beautiful false adrito and then you're you're fucking out. You 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 did your thing. Um, body on the other hand is just all about that strata play, mezzospada play, where he's tight. He wants you to fight in the pocket and very close to the opponent. So, but but they still follow that same general guideline of alignment, assessment, constraint, hit, cover, and and the same thing happens for the rapier masters too. If we're if we're looking if we're looking later on. Um, you know, so so that expression of how you're supposed to enter an exchange and exit exit it safely is 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 baseline, but the way that the masters want you to do that tactically is different. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting, and I, I mean I agree with you. Um, and it could be because Morazzo, I I find two specific things that make Morazzo a little bit different for me in terms of the earlier sources and. One is the technological advancement of, of having lugs on your longsword. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to fight with a longsword that has lugs on it. Oh, yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, it, it changes the game, right? It does, like, it does, yeah. Yeah, when somebody's in a high guard and they're cutting, you know, just a fendente at the top of your head and you go into Gordia de Faccia, if you do that with just a hilted or a shilted longsword, they're going to smack you in the top of the head. You're not going to stop that, right? Yep. But if you have lugs, you're going to stop that because you have... Basically, the the parry point of your sword is you know almost like eight or nine inches out. So up, yeah, yeah, and and it makes a huge difference. Um, so that's one thing, um, and that it changes bind dynamics too. Um, and the other thing is obviously the length of the weapon. I think makes a difference as well mm -hmm. um, because you have more emphasis on wide play. I think when you have a longer weapon, um, just because you know just like. Um, if you were fighting somebody who uh, you're just recently, you posted a great video of your fights from um, sword and buckler at the, uh, the recent um, uh, steel city tournament. Right. And uh, you were fighting with a side sword. Um, some of your opponents were fighting with arming swords. And when you were fighting with an opponent with an arming sword, you're going to approach that fight a lot different, right? You're going to basically use the fact that you have that length advantage and even when you're fighting somebody else with a side sword, the fight tends to be a little bit different. Like you look at the difference between a source like Mancialino or Morazzo and compare that to I-33, of course I-33 is like super bind dependent because you're yep. using 
a mm-hmm. 28 you know inch arming sword and that's that's what the techniques really want so yeah uh the, the the other the other thing on top of that too if if we're if we're to bring it from um from single-handed sword to two-handed sword um and and to devadi in particular um and and to look at like old school like early italian stuff versus like bolognese um you know, there, there's a reason I find that Fiore and Vadi kind of put an emphasis on you being in the bind. And and part of that is because you don't have that. Um, there's always the margin of error when you are in a fight to get doubled or to get or to get hit. Right. That's something that we always have to worry about because you're in a fucking sword fight. It's it's not it's not it's not a. Um, it's 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 not fun, and it's uh, unless unless you're doing school fencing, right? And and uh, yeah. both both y'all are, are in this for for looking pretty and artful and, and showing off that sprezzatura. Um, and uh, Fiore always starts off his stuff with talking about the bind, right? You know, you got you got the first master and the second master of the of the point crossing in the in the Mitzvata. Um, and everything kind of delineates off there, whereas Vadi just focuses strictly on um, the Mezzospada play. Um, and I know that the Bolognese sources do that as well, right? They they talk about they talk about Largo and and Stretta, and then and then Mezzospada play on top of that. Um, but to 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 me, it seems like um, you know the 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 way I the way I like to think about it. Um, is that okay? Sword life. That that's that that's where we were at. Okay, that's it. Okay, so um, when we're talking about the the difference in in sizes of swords for the uh, Bolognese two handed stuff versus the um, versus the earlier Italian stuff, right? And how like pairing lugs and the length of a two handed sword changes the dynamics of a fight. You know, Vadi sword isn't I I would say too different from kind of what Morazzo and the Anonimo talk about in terms of their in terms of their sword length, but still he has this uh, foot in two worlds um, yeah, vibe to him, right? Where he still has these um, uh, vestigial features of Fiore, like the exchange of points and the breaking of the thrust that are still like very clearly in there and very clearly like uh, openers to the rest of what he considers to be artful and those same features kind of still stick around in in the bolognese stuff as well but there is a clear delineation over the period of time where now it's a lot more focused in the bolognese sources on um constraint through um constraint through fainting and constraint through doing more complex blade action complex blade actions or feints where the blades are only touching for a very brief period of time before you take another line and then hit, right? Um, and the same thing appears in Vadi as well, but the Bolognese tradition as a whole has this great emphasis on beats that are just like so beautiful and so so fancy. Um, yeah. And and I I I love I love to see it when it when it does show up in fencing, um, but um, the the difference I would say. Um, comes in the fact that, as I said with Vadi, he still has that focus on you immediately going back into the bind. Um, whereas they're kind of, uh, the Bolognese sources are kind of okay with you threatening something, staying on one line, and then taking another one. Um, yeah. Except except in except in the Anonimo plays, you know, where he has, uh, where he has, in my opinion, seemingly a bit more um, 
more stuff that that's a bit more bite heavy as opposed to Murazzo. He does. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think, I, I don't know. I, I know there's, there's a great discussion going on on discord right now, just about the age of the Anonimo, but I almost feel like it, in my opinion, the Anonimo is early or is later. Um, but some people argue that it is earlier because of the beating actions that are in there. Um, but I've always gotten the sense that, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of of two minds in that regard, but I mean, the way, when you spell it out like that, it almost makes it seem like it sounds a little bit earlier. Like you said, there's that emphasis on bind actions and keeping that close. Um, but one of the things that I also feel um, is, is sort of paramount to the tactical approach um, that I love about Fiore and about Vadi in particular. And I, I think you do see it in the Bolognese sources at times. Um, is that it's all it's all about controlling your opponent's weapon you know yep. like we and and hema tournaments in general we always complain about doubles and things like that and, mm -hmm. and so much of that is is a failure of people who are um basically going to attack not recognizing that they also have to cover the line of their opponent's sword mm -hmm. and just going to an open target rather than closing off the potential line of attack that's going to come back through and I think it's spelled out in the sources that way. Um, and I think that's why you're such a great tournament fighter as well, is because you're basically, I think you've pulled that out of the sources in the way that you fight. Um, and I, I've seen that too, um, you know, with, with all of your students, um, you guys have a tendency to, you know, cut to close angles. Um, you're equally attacking your opponent's sword in a way that prevents it from coming back at you and attacking an open target at the same time. Um, and, uh, and I, I think that's, that's the, really the way that we should be emphasizing and looking, looking at these things because, um, you know, basically just hitting for the idea of hitting without recognizing the threat of your opponent's weapon is just a really bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, like across, across all of the sources, uh, in, in the Bolognese tradition, right. If, if we look at, if we look at Dialgokia, if we look at Manchilino, if we look at Marazzo, there is always this idea of an initiation where you are putting the pressure onto the opponent. You're making them decide, okay, do I want to get hit in the hands? Do I want to get hit in the face? Um, and the answer is is resoundingly no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and from there, you have your aha moment. You you are you are in pre you are in the present time where you are threatening them so that they must move their sword into a position that you that 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 is advantageous for you and disadvantageous for them. Right. There's always this this idea of stealing tempo and constraining and constraining them from which you can you can do other things or through provocation whether that be through gathering and measure gathering measure with like a with like by, by going into a shortened stance or what have you right um and then from there you play and in 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 tournament play in particular you know i, th I think i think greg merlay uh when you had him on did a great job of talking about that high stress environment that is that is present in tournaments right and it's very difficult to to stay in the moment when you have all of that pressure on you right um but staying open eyes uh, i think is, is a great term for this keeping keeping your eyes open to the situation is all that the sources talk about not even just bolognese not even just um 
the the early the early Italian sources, but also um, the RDL, like the early Lichtenhauer sources, and and Meyer as well. It's a general theme of just like stay in the moment, stupid. Make sure you don't get hit. Don't close your eyes and just do whatever you want to do, um, or whatever whatever your body tells you to do. Right? Those 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 um. There's there's a time and a place for that, of course. You know, closed yeah. eyes actions where you instantly see a target, you go for it, or you have this combo in mind where you threaten one part and then immediately move into the next one is is also present in all of the sources as well. But the overall emphasis is on staying uh, with your opponent's action through the entirety of it as it goes down, so that you can be in control of the situation and the opponent's blade, um, so that you can hit without getting hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, for sure and uh you know i i think that's where like the emphasis on beats comes in um and because they do help you to control lines and create openings um you're basically creating a tempo by attacking your opponent's sword and i i know you know art school is split between like kdf and um the bolognese essentially and uh we have this uh you know on the KDF side, they really emphasize not attacking your opponent's sword. That's one of the first things they teach their students. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because we teach the exact opposite. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but it, it is within a framework of context, right? Like it's yep. basically, um, you know, there's situations when you almost are forced to beat your opponent's sword. Um, and, I, you know, it, you still see that with, with Fiore and, um, in, in some ways, he, he still has some actions where you're just kind of taking your opponent's sword out of presence with, with beating actions or strong cuts um, to your opponent's sword. And I think so much of, of that emphasis, um, just I think it, it translates all the way through um, the Italian sources. Um, how, do you, how do you view that uh, in terms of like just that that framework and that tactical approach kind of stemming through um, what you've seen since you've studied really from, you know, the beginning of what we have as Italian sources with Fiore and Avati and Amaranto. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough that the area that I am in, uh, like the, the Philadelphia area has like so many great practitioners, just like a stone's throw away from each other. You know, I get the chance to work with Stephen Cheney up to the north and all of his and all of his wonderful folks at, at Bucks Historical Longsword. And, and Steve has been doing this awesome work on making first intention attacks just like work just through just through means of footwork. Right. Um, and it's changed my perception on how. Uh, us as practitioners should view uh, first intention actions, right? And and how um, delivering like a descending cut that hits as soon as as soon as you throw it um, is supposed to go down, um, and thus has changed my perception on um, on how a lot of the binding actions in 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 in, in the Italian tradition work. Um, not just that, but also um, how we approach a fight um, in in modern longsword and whatever what what, what mo modern HEMA today. Um, uh, for example, Fiore, right? The, the the crossings of the of the first two masters, right? Um, in in my opinion, um, 
when folks approach a fight, right, there, there always has to be some type of reconnaissance that's done on the opponent to figure out what the fuck they're trying to do right you know you don't yep. want to just like walk up to them and be like uh 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 okay i throw my cut with yep. without without that splits with, without some kind of um information being received from you and deciding on where to on where to go from there um and uh bringing that to beating and attacking to the sword first as opposed to attacking directly to the body um you know, there's this awareness inside of the sources that first intentions don't generally work or that, um, hmm, how would I say it? Not, not, not just that first intention actions don't work, but that um, they are merely part of the game to make it safe for you to, to hit, right? Um, and when we're talking about things like um, a perfect example of this would be like Fiore second master where you, you cross in the mids, you do some type of action to clear their sword out of the way, whether that be through a strong beat or whatever your interpretation is to hit behind their sword to their hand and then drive the point forward. Right. Um, you know, you can clearly read that as, as a, um, as, as like some type of strong beat or clearing action from which you, from which you then follow through with that attack. Um, in Marazzo, when you throw that falso impuntanto to um, get the opponent's sword offline, and then you do your two mandrito afterwards, right? Those those kinds of uh, that those two mandrito, one of them probably being a beat to their sword to then clear for for you to then hit. Um, in Vadi, when you're talking about um, threatening with a with a with a thrust from below. And then cutting to the opposite side as soon as your opponent responds to your thrust to, to stop their sword and then hit them afterwards. Um, all of all of these actions, right? These these clearing these these clearing actions that are that are present in the in the Italian tradition um, as it ripples through time um, represent, um, in in my opinion, uh, a a. Um, an idea of, of probing the opponent to force their response, right? So you don't have to worry about that first intention. You're giving them, you're giving them the stimulus um, and the threat that they have to, that they have to respond to the sword. So you don't have to play from the guards fencing in Largo with the two-handed sword, which is dangerous as shit. <laughs> yeah. Super, super dangerous. You're you're putting the you're putting the onus on them to have to respond to something. And then you are clear to hit the sword afterwards because you 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 have them. You have them right where you want them. Um, yeah. um but the other thing that, that comes that comes to mind with with that in particular, right? Um is that um Sometimes when you're fencing against an opponent where their sword is already in presence, right? If, if we're, if we're talking about somebody just like being in an extended point forward guard, whether that be like Postalunga or Sprechfenster or whatever the fuck you want to call it, right? I'm putting, I'm putting my point in your face and you have to, you have to do something about it. Right. Right. You know, that is an incredible stimulus to, uh, that's an incredible stimulus for you to do the exact same thing, right? When, whenever you see somebody in a tournament or, or free fencing or what have you, walk forwards towards the opponent and just like shove the point in their face, right? Just threaten them. That's in every single text that we have, right? That's a, that's a generally good action and all of the masters agree on it. Walk yeah. forward, shove the point in their face and see what they do. Um, yeah. But that, that's also a great 
thing for us on the receiving end because, oh, great, you're giving me your blade. I get to do something else in response to that. Um, and I think another paradigm that is present in modern HEMA um, is that when we have those types of situations happen to us, where we have the point just like thrusted into our face or the opponent just walking forward um, in a point forward guard, that we don't want to give them the sword, right? We don't want to give them our sword in response, or we want to fence from a high cutting guard out here. We, we should also be okay with, with putting our stuff out there as well so that we can do things like take their blade with some type of like beating action or like some type of um, binding action that clears their sword out of the way and then hitting afterwards. So um, yeah, that's the, those, those, those are my thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. I mean, that's great, right? And and that's basically, um, you know, the way that I see that first play from Larga from Maranzo, you know, with that that um, the falaciari of the falso impuntanto is your opponent is giving you that point forward guard there in um, Porta de Ferro Larga. So mm -hmm. you know they're just out there with their point in front of your face, and you have to deal with it. So you know he he basically tells you to faint, and they they chase, and that's what sets up the falso impuntanto. So. Um, you know that that whole idea or well i mean the falso impuntanto sets up the the follow-up action but, yep, yep um you know it's interesting because i i know that you've talked to kurt holfreder um quite a bit and, and yeah <laughs> you know we're we've got a a wing of tsg right now which is the club that i'm at um triangle sword guild but we are or have a wing that's really like diving deep into fury um and i've i've been i've been taking part in this because i'm excited to to basically draw the connections that you've drawn now yes. i mean my my primary weapon focus um through my chemo career has always been the side sword so like i'm like probably like a c fencer with a long sword and probably <laughs> like an a fencer with a side sword like you put you put a side sword in my hand and i will meddle in any tournament that i fight in but you put a long sword in my hand and i'm like yeah i'm right <laughs> But I'm trying to change that, and but I want to change it in a way that, basically the way that you did it, right? Like go back to Fiori, go back to Vadi, and then come back to Morazzo and see how Morazzo is informed by those things and really kind of builds on this whole sort of, uh, you know, pedagogical advancement, if, as it were. But you know, with one of the things that Kurt's really been working on, um, and and the way that he kind of teaches that. Is, is really interesting because it, it, it harkens on a theme that I've seen in lots of different sword fighting systems. So, you know, the way that he teaches the, the Gioco Largo plays with Fiori is basically you cut from anywhere you want. He, he believes that, you know, Fiori's just like, I don't care where your sword is at, just go to the middle, right? Um, and, and cut to your opponent's sword or, or meet them in a, in a central bind. If they have a weak bind, then you go ahead and you thrust through because you, you have leverage. If they give you a strong bind, then you cut around and you, you cut to the other side, right? And the plays basically progress from there. And even as you come into like a deeper crossing on the sword, that's when you'll go for, for example, from grabbing your opponent's sword, um, turning it up to grabbing their sword and, and thrusting, or, you know, working around and kind of working into um, Abrazari and, and wrestling and things like yep. that. Mm -hmm. But the, the interesting thing, you know, you bring up Spreckfenster, and um, I see Spreckfenster almost being the exact same way. And this actually came to me when I was studying I-33. And the way that I read I-33, and this could be complete 
BS. I'm, I'm sure there are I-33 people out there who are just going to be like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but, but for me personally, when I read I-33, the way that I read it is um, when your opponent comes into half shield, I don't think that your opponent is approaching you at half shield, right? I think that basically what they're doing is they're cutting to the center to find a bind, just like we would with other systems and other ways to approach the fight. And I think that what your response is, is that's you also cutting to the center. And basically from there, you're going to what is the concept of Sparkfenster that we see in KDF, where you're essentially cutting to that central bind and then progressing through the fight from there, right? Yep. And if instead of just like, I'm going to hold, you're going to wait for your opponent to come at you like this, you know, and then you're just going to, you know, cut over their sword. It doesn't quite work like that, but you, you start from wide guards. You try to basically come in and dominate the center. And then you progress through the fight from there based on how your opponent pushes your pressure. It's not, it, it's, it's almost exactly like chess, right? Yes, like completely. The initial, yes. The initial like goal of chess is to push your pawns in the middle to support your pawns in the middle. And then as your opponent reacts to that, you start to work around the flanks. And it's basically the exact same concept played out just with sword fighting. Uh, I can't agree with you more, especially when it comes to when it comes to Fiore's first master and second master. The same way that you described uh, coming into Habshield and in, in, in I-33, um, you know, where you're threatening that center line or your opponent is coming onto you in that center line is the exact same way that I see the first master of Fiore play out. In exactly. Um, you know, the, the guards in Fiore represent the tactical understanding of what you're supposed to be doing, fencing in Largo, if you want to stay in Largo, and then um, the different ways that you can move to playing in the masters of battle, in my opinion, right? That 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 that's the perspective that I see. Whereas um, when you have an opponent that's threatening the center line, or you probe your opponent to figure out that information, and if they cross you at the tips, or if they cross you at the middle, or if you throw a first intention cut, um, and you end up at that mezzo spot of binds in, in, in Fiore in particular, I think that the I think that the first master is strictly something that happens in Largo play when you cross at the points. Um, and that's that's uh, informed from my understanding of body where um, in part of the text, he says, you know, if your opponent crosses you wide, and you thrust, you don't want to be divided from him. I believe that that's a crossing at the points from which you enter in after after they've crossed you and what have you, right? Um, and that same kind of that same kind of chess move ideology um, or thought process is how is how I look at is how I look at a lot of like Largo play, where um, you know if you've bound your opponent, right? You're basically saying, hey, check. What are you going to do? Um, and if you and and if, if if they cut around or if you cut around, you ha you're the person that's that's been checked, right? You're giving up your initial line that you have that you have taken, and then I have time to do whatever else my system tells me to do afterwards. We are of the exact same mind on that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's that's awesome because, you know, I and I, I think this translates well into Murato, and I think sometimes, um, especially with the two-handed sword, there's a um, a little too much emphasis because it's the easiest to sort of progress through from like the the first set of Morazzo's plays, which are all Larga plays, right? But even Morazzo's intention from Larga oftentimes is to move his opponent in some way out of a point forward guard. They're they're sitting there and they've got their point at you. Yep. And he's mm -hmm. giving you a lot of different ways to deal with this thing so that way you can come in. 
And of course he's attacking from Larga and then retreating. Um, but I mean, even it's not too dissimilar to the way that he, um, you know, with a single-handed sword, the way that he approaches dealing with thrust. He gives you lots of different ways to deal with this specific thrust. Um, and all of them are really kind of, there's this almost ambiguity of why would, why would you have to do six different ways of, or I mean, it's, I think it's five, five different ways of defending against a, a thrust with a single-handed sword. But when you look at it in its context and you think about the fact that measure is gonna be different, right? So perhaps measure is informing these things. These are things that are not stated, right? Yep. Because mm -hmm. I, I think these are things that Marazzo would have assumed that Sebastian would have understood as an author. But when, when you look at the plays, the different responses really are predicated, I believe, on the different things that your opponent gives you, whether or not they are strong in the bind, whether or not they are weak in the bind with that thrust, whether or not, you know, they're thrusting from a really close measure, whether or not they're thrusting from a really far measure. Like, when does that leg cut make sense that Moranzo does with a single-handed sword? Probably when your opponent is thrusting from out of measure and trying to take a step in to come in, yep. and you their sword and you cut their leg, right? Mm -hmm. They've given you a tempo, you take that tempo with a step, you remove their sword and you cut them to the leg. Completely. Yeah, no, like right, right, right there with you. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the other thing I think uh, specifically when we're talking about, um, uh, how would I say it? And when we're talking about the differences in measure, timing, um, and control of the weapon, uh, single-handed sword, single-handed sword versus two-handed sword, in particular, right? Um, you know the 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 footwork and the um, the method of you controlling the blade um, in single-handed sword. I think I think you have a lot more margin for error, generally speaking, um, with a single-handed weapon as opposed to as opposed to a second-handed weapon. I believe that there is a very real reason as to why most of the time when we talk about using. Uh, a two-handed sword largo largo play is just non-existent right like we have it in marazzo right but if we but if we are to look back and and look at look at fiore and look at body uh, speaking in the italian tradition they're both they're both like mezzospada boys that that's that's where oh, yeah. they that that's where they want to be um you know, whereas like the 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 artful movement and 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 way of fencing conservatively from out of measure um, or, or just at like that, that, that wide measure, that, that real Largo play that we find in, um, in, in single-handed sword, whether that be with a companion weapon or a companion or not, um, is, is there, uh, is, is there with the weapon. Um, and you know, there, there, there's always something that is missing from every single author that you read, whether that be footwork, whether that be the specifics of how you're supposed to bring the arms up, whether that be this, that, or the other. And it's a damn shame. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it a damn shame. <laughs> um, but the most complete source is Meyer, <laughs> <laughs> which you know frustrates everybody. I think. God, God, God bless him though. God bless him. Fucking yeah. yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> that poor guy dying in the fucking rain. <laughs> I know, right? What a way to go. What 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 a, what a shame. <laughs> um. So I, I think I distracted you from your point, and I'm sorry about that. But it's all I, good. I agree um, wholeheartedly. And and something you said actually kind of made me think about um, Marazzo in particular. Like 
when you get into book two of or uh, chapter two of book three of Marazzo, and you start looking at his two-handed sword plays, and um, and and he's starting to progress into the strata techniques. Uh, one of the things that I find is really interesting. I mean, this is something that I've seen a lot in your fencing, uh, which I think is is fantastic. Even before you admitted that you had started into the Bolognese system, <laughs> um, it was something I was like, "Hey, wait a second, that looks that looks just like something that I've read." Um, and uh, and basically, Morato will do this thing where he loves to um, embellish um, in in book two. Um, and basically, the reason why he's embellishing is because he's trying to provoke the opponent to to attack you right you're you're basically like kind of giving your opponent from outside of measure you're giving your opponent the temptation to come in and just give you an attack so you can make a parry and then you can progress into strata plays and i've seen you do this a lot with body <laughs> and the way that you fence um you will embellish the crap out of your opponents in order to get them to just like hey man i'm gonna I'm going to come in and I'm going to get you at this point, or there maybe perhaps if they are aware, they're looking for tempos where they could come in on you in, in the process of your embellishment. Um, and sometimes that works like uh, referencing your Arto Pharma fight earlier. Um, I went back and I watched that today because I knew I was going to talk to you about it, but <laughs> you, you actually caught him in the process of basically coming in and embellishing on you. Um, like your, I think it was your first exchange where he was, basically going and coming up over and then tried to come back over on the other side. And you came straight over top his sword and caught him in the tempo of him basically embellishing to try to provoke an attack. Um, and you caught him mid tempo and contra tempo. And I was just like, Oh, that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that's what Morato is doing. Like, I, I think he's embellishing to, to provoke that attack out of his opponent. Um, so how do you see that? and playing out in your tactical approach to fighting. Okay. So, um, right. Like, like, like I was like, like I said at the beginning, um, one of the reasons why I go to tournaments is I want to do the thing correct to the book and I want to look fucking pretty while I do it. Right. I want to, I want to go there and I want to, I want to know that I want to confirm that the things that I have been studying are not bullshit. Right. That that's, that's one of the reasons why I go there. And, And part of that, in in my opinion is bringing that 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 bolo stees at least in some part or that body stees into in where we do it that the, the italians would call that sprezzatura but uh <laughs> um but the the other thing about that uh and particularly like flourishing and embellishing to um to provoke a tempo or to see how your opponent responds to you doing these cuts and these fainted thrusts and, and all, all of the stuff that comes with that um, is to see if you're going to force them into a position where they are attacking into a line that you are very clearly aware is there so that you can then counter it and then respond with something, right? Uh, there's nothing I love more when I am in the middle of doing like some some fancy flourish and I end up in a position like posta vera finestra or posta sagittaria and I get that center line thrust that an opponent is like just like waiting there like they see it very clearly and I'm like ah thank you and I <laughs> and and I and I do something in response to that you know um and uh the the, the tactical thought process um 
putting aside looking fancy and all that bullshit is I am as I am not only presenting a very clear and obvious threat by by moving through different positions and doing uh, multiple cuts um, in, in Largo, um, but I am also presenting openings that I know are very present and aware and and provoking my opponent to uh, to have no other choice to have no other choice but to but to take them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lie to them, lie to them, and make them think that this is okay, and then steal it from them. You're damn right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fantastic, and I mean, I think, I wish, my hope is that more people will will see that and and, and try to adopt that in their fencing because uh, that to me is it, just it it makes it more of a conversation. Um, in terms of the way that the fight progresses, where you do have this this guard counter guard approach of I'm going to give you this look, well I'm going to change it, I'm going to give you this look, rather than just basically um, you know coming at each other like I'm just going to hold you know Vom Tog and I'm going to cut in because that's what I know or you know things like that. I think there's even room within the KDF um, tradition, and this isn't just to rag on KDF. Um, this this is true for even people who fight in different Italian arts. You know, yeah, sometimes yeah. you'll see like Fiori fencers have a tendency to really love that low, um, you know, uh, point point down. It'd be Porta de Ferro Larga in the in the Bolognese system. I don't Por, know Boris Tooth, Boris Tooth. We we know what you talk about. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like you know, they they love to kind of hang out in that guard. So you'll see them hang out in low guards a lot. And so sometimes you get these just kind of common dependencies because that's where people feel comfortable rather yeah. than. Know, basically learning how to fight from from all the different guards and basically understanding that you can um you can move your opponent by that with those transitions because perhaps they feel less comfortable in a certain guard and so you know if you see somebody in a low guard give them a high guard and and threaten their head and just make them come out of that low guard because they might not feel comfortable being in a mid guard or even in a high guard themselves yep um and then you have the initiative. So that's something I would like to see more. That's, that's my wish, my hope. But... It can only get better with time, or at least so we hope. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, for sure. All right, so of the... Let's get into some of these questions. I can't... <laughs> um, of the four core authors, who's your favorite and why? Who, do you, who, who have you uh, really caught on to so far, and who have you really attached to okay so so as with everybody um this is a difficult question <laughs> um yeah. but if i would have to if i would have to pick in my heart of hearts who i identify with the most who would i like the most it's got to be anonimo anonimo is fucking awesome i love the anonimo yeah um he's just he's just dirty and mean and it makes me so happy in my cruel cool heart <laughs> um but speaking back to kind of like my first introduction into into bolognese the the person that i that the author that i really really like immediately got a good feel for was manchilino's it was manchilino with his single sword stuff where it's just that falso manco and then you do everything off of that i loved that i love i love what manchilino does with his with his single sword but now that i am coming back to bolognese with fresh eyes um like anonimo just speaks to me very very clearly and and i'd have to say that he's my favorite 
Oh, that's awesome. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you did you look at a lot of the anonymous um, left versus right techniques in your in your lead up to uh, Steel City? You know, it's funny you mention that because that's exactly what I did. Um, you know, I be, being being a left-handed fencer, um, a lot of times companion weapons can be very difficult for for me because um, they just don't work the same way. So my my initial uh, thought process going into that tournament um, and then using companion weapons as a whole was, okay, I have this whole section in the Anonimo dedicated to fencing a person with different handedness. So if I can if I can take what he's got there and reverse engineer it for myself, at least in some small part, while keeping it pretty and canonical, um, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, a lot of um, uh, a lot of like my early thought process um, and my choice for going with Anonimo in particular was because I knew he had that section. And that would be a good basis for me to not only understand what his approach is against uh, against a person of opposite handedness, but also um, to inform the general system as a whole while I was working through it. Yeah, I saw that a lot with the, the falsos to the hands um, and basically trying to set up a lot of those actions with those falsos, those rising falsehood cuts. And um no, it looked it, it was really cool. I mean, I honestly I, I love his his left versus right stuff too, just because he's he is really nasty with it. it just like falls out of the hand that goes into super brachio and then cut back down on that reverso, and it's just it's oh. such a mean thing to do. It's so nasty. Um, <laughs> he's he is definitely when when he at the beginning of that at that text when he says that you should basically just like any moral is a deficiency in your fencing. <laughs> I'm just like. <laughs> Man, you read his text and you're just like, yeah, this guy's, he's mean. He's just, he's cruel. Um, but it's sick. It's so sick. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, and, and then you were, you were so kind enough to, to do that, that whole Marazzo sword and buckler uh, lefty versus righty uh, video for me, which thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank um, you. Yeah. And, and that, that helped me get that second level, you know, I, for, 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 for a lot of people, I understand that um, like interfacing with the books and then taking what you are reading and then translating that into 3d space where you're fencing against the non-compliant opponent is like, light years of difficulty um you know I'm, I'm fortunate enough that now that i have a physical language uh from doing to answer it as long as i have that it's not as difficult for me but you doing that for me really helped bridge the gap into into being able to take what i learned from anonimo um and what i learned with you uh when we were when you when you when you did that video for marazzo on, on marazzo stuff for me like just made it so much easier for me to 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 approach the the approach every fight that i was doing with a framework in mind of how it was going to go down yeah no, and and it looked great i mean your fencing was fantastic um i i think you know you got unlucky with a, a few exchanges but I, I really liked what i saw i mean it was you're the fact i mean gosh you i don't how long have you been doing sword and buckler leading up to that was was this a relatively recent thing that was my first attempt at serious sword and buckler okay yeah and and, <laughs> and it looked great that's that's the thing that's that's what i love and i can tell that you were studying really hard because you know the application again just going in there working through i could see when you were going through the anonimo i could see when you were trying the Morazzo techniques um, and I, I, you know, 
the fact that you were able to be, you were as successful as you were taking that from there is, is impressive because, you know, in a few years time, that's not, you're going to be just a huge pain in the ass defense. But, you know, I, I love that though. That's one of the things that I, I really appreciate about the Bolognese system is that they, they don't leave lefties out. We have a lot of lefties in our school. Um, and, uh, and, you know, when I teach sword and buckler, I have, I can fight left and right handed equally as well. Um, mm -hmm. you know, that's the way that I was, I was trained. So, um, I can do both. So it's usually a lot of, a lot of times when I'm teaching my left-handed students, I have to teach them personally because like when we're doing like pair drills and stuff like that, because I'm the only other person that can be a lefty. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, I understand how frustrating that can be. And so I, I'm my, one of my primary goals for my left-handed students is to equip them with as much ammunition as I possibly can. So that way they can go out into the world and just wreak havoc and just, <laughs> you know, and basically just like get compensation for the fact that they've been left behind as left-handed fencers for so long. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, uh, some, somebody on the international HEMA discord, shout out to them. Cause they're fucking amazing. Um, yeah. was like, you know, given a few years time, Connor is going to create an army of left-handed Vadiists that are going to take over the East coast. Um, and, and that, that is truly one of my goals. Uh, <laughs> but you know, for, for, for me approaching the sources, um, as a person that is not really meant <laughs> to, to, to do things the way I do, um, you know, I, I found I found a lot of comfort and a lot of ease in what I do by learning by learning Mezzaspa to play mostly. Like I, I, I like speaking to fencing from that center, playing in that central space. It eliminates a lot of the issues that come with you having having an opposite handedness, right? Like you know, a, a guards, uh, uh, opposing guards, opposing cuts, what have you, right? Like all those things can be very, very difficult and complex for a lefty to navigate in our space since, you know, we're, we're, we live in a world of right-handers. Um, and the, the, the thing that like, like latched me onto, onto Vadi was the fact that it, he had answers that were present in his book and he had guards that worked regardless of the handedness because if my opponent is in a right side of guard i can go into my uh, non-dominant side of guard and i can fence no problem against them um and those same things are present in the Bolognese tradition as well you know if, if my opponent is fencing against me in coda longa strata i can i can move to to, to port of the pharaoh strata i can move to port of the pharaoh larga i can fence from there no problem i can even fence from coda longa strata no problem as well but as long as and and it's it's all predicated on making sure that i get that first constraining action we were talking it we were talking about to bring it back back full circle and then playing from there um and not only that, but the additional stuff on top of that, where they teach you what you're supposed to do against an opponent of opposite handedness makes the Bolognese stuff so awesome as a lefty. It's great. Yeah. And and that's basically like, I mean, going back to those Marazzo plays, that's basically his approach, right? Like, I mean, he has the two void steps, but when you look at everything else that he does, it is all about controlling the center. His attacks, when he's not like when he is the one that's initiating the attack, he is basically doing something that controls your opponent's sword at the center, pre pre presents a threat, and then works around to openings and things along that in, in that regard. And I think that, you know, that speaks to 
also right-handed fencers, when they come up against your army of left-handers that you're creating, <laughs> to understand that that's actually the best way to fight against a left-handed opponent. Because I know that it's not just the fact that lefties get left out for everything. It's also that most right-handed fencers just don't fight against lefties enough. And this is something they speak to in the text. Like Morato says it specifically, like um, left-handed fencers sometimes have an advantage because they fight right-handed fencers all the time and right-handed fencers rarely fight a left-handed fencer and therefore they are at a disadvantage. And that's why he gives that in the text. Yep. Um, and so, you know, that's an abject lesson for people who are righties fighting against lefties is, you know, try to basically take the fight to the center and don't try to fight it from wide play because that's where you get hit. That's where those, you know, those knock rise. And I, I don't have a good term for that in the Bolognese system. I don't know, I guess, you know, avoid the, con the concept is there, but like, yeah. 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 Like, you know, striking after they strike, they don't have a good word for it. The Germans are just really good at just coming up with long words that make sense for everybody. So it knock rising, uh, the basically <laughs> like that's just a perfect setup for knock rising. So, yeah. um, you know, just, you know, don't, don't put yourself in that situation. So yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. Uh, speaking to speaking to that as well. Um, you know, I got, I got, I got to bring up my, my, my truly favorite technique, um, mezzo tempo, okay. uh, and, yeah. and, and how that works as well. The, the other thing that is of great advantage to me as a lefty, um, is the fact that if if I know where my opponent's sword is and I know where my sword is, um, being able to recognize those moments where I am weak and strong in the bind to make something like mezzo tempo and and for those that are um, that are predominantly Bolognese offensers, I guess you could say a, um, a squalombrado or a tondo from uh, from the uh, from like a mezzo spada bind behind the opponent's sword to the face, or if we have any RDL KDF listeners be called a duplirin or, or something along those lines um those 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 actions work perfectly and it's it's one of the other reasons why i've stuck with with body for so long is because he has that concept of do an initiating action to get the mezzo spada bind and then from there cut behind the opponent's sword in the tempo where they're trying to figure out what the fuck you're going to do and then retreat or or adv advance into into shredo play and wrestle them after you after you get the hit um and being able to work predominantly against um an opponent whose strong side is my weak side whenever i get that cut um, for me, which is a reverso, for them is, is a dritto, I am just able to perfectly untwist my hands and hit them no problem every single time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, and so it's interesting because that's basically uh, Manchiolino's first strata play, false edge, false edge, right? I mean, you're you're coming in, you're in this false edge mine, and, and his first action, you know, he does his best to try to basically describe exactly what you're talking about, which would, I guess, be like a sphere cow. I think Greg Millet uh, associated it with a sphere cow. Um, I haven't quite figured out if I agree with that or not, but um, he's, <laughs> I should, I should default to him because he's got a lot more experience than I have. And I, every time I've played with a, a different variation, it hasn't quite worked. So, but I, I have been thinking about that a lot, but he basically, you know, he tells you to, do something he says it's like a uh, a stromatone that goes horizontal and hits them in the side of the head right and he mm -hmm. says you hit with the false edge so that would be almost like you know kind of coming from here and, and turning up and going around right basically the same thing i mean it's but i I'm, i have this sort of uh prevailing theory that that's basically why the uh 
when they teach strata plays, they do it the way that they do, which is unique, where you have true edge to true edge, false edge to false edge, because it's at that point, it doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't yeah. matter how you get to that point. It's just, it matters what happens once you're there, right? And that's kind of how the fight progresses. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's really interesting. Um, so, so far, uh, what's your favorite weapon? What's your favorite weapon system or combination you've come across? Okay, this this is a hard one. Um, and so, my first love, my true love, is it will always be longsword, two-handed sword. Um, but you know, yeah. having having this new venture into into Bolognese, um, you know, Targa, man, Targa is so awesome. I love I love sword and Targa. It's so cool. Um, yeah, that's that that would have Marazzo. to be can continue oh yeah so i mean morazzo has got some really nasty techniques with his target plays um he just kind of like takes all of his sword and buckler and just kind of like ramps it up to 11 for targa um that's where and i i don't know if i don't know if it's just because you do have that much more provided defense but he gets really aggressive where he will start pressing into like strata plays and start giving you some really nasty things like the one i think it's the first one where you end up kind of thrusting almost like you're it, it, you're going up in with a punta drita um and um or a punta reverse excuse me so you're doing a punta reverse and kind of thrusting up like pushing your your target back so it, it almost kind of like your hands come together like you're like holding your hands out like you're holding a, a book or something like that and then as you're transitioning as your opponent is is parrying that you press into their hands let your sword come back and just stab them up under, under the stomach yeah it's just, oh man it, it's just so good i'm just yeah. like oh what a great play i just love getting people with that and you know you get you start to get into some of these a lot more complex actions where he's he's you see a little bit more creativity. Um, his sword, bu large buckler stuff has, is pretty good, but the Targa is my favorite too. I, I love that. It's so good. Yeah, close, close second, but I have not played around with this yet. I want to. I want to get this made for me. But the Imbracatoria is such a cool shield. Oh God, yeah. I love that I thing. It's so oh, cool. Oh yeah, seeing Robert Rutherford go through like a bunch of different like solo drills with that, it, like yeah. just inspired me. I want one of those so bad. <laughs> I know, me too. Me too. And, you know, one of my goals uh, for 2020, I, di I didn't finish and I've gotten distracted since was to try to finish Shimarazzo's, uh second book. And, uh, and so I was actually, I was, I have, I found the, he, I have the plans printed out for the Embracchiatura and I was going to build one and then I never did. And unfortunately, you know, I, I, I guess I will, I will at some point, I'm going to do it. Maybe when I make one, I'll, I'll make one for you. I'll send it out to you. And then next time we get together, we can just have like this nasty embracutary battle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the add a list of plans that got put on hold for the pandemic. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I'm in the process of, uh, of getting armor squared away right now, which is my, Ooh. which is my big project. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. You, you already know my wallet's burning. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing you get that awesome shift differential working night shifts at the hospital sir <laughs> yeah yeah no it, it's it certainly it certainly does come in handy when i want to do all of my all of my crazy sword wizardry uh <laughs> well look i mean 
you know, that's been a big focus for us too, is a lot of people are transitioning to armor. Um, and, you know, I mean, a great source for that for the Bolognese is, of course, the Anonimo. Yep. So have you looked at his his poleaxe and armor? In fact, I have, um, you know, uh, continuing continuing with this theme of wanting to do all of the things that are Vadi. Um, you know, Vadi's pretty scant on his poleaxe stuff. A lot of it is uh, straight ripped from the Morgan or 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 the Navadi. I can't remember specifically which one, but like there's a lot that's left to be desired in, in Vadi that uh, and in terms of like his armored stuff, because as he says, you know, I only esteem the sword in two hands. It's all I care about. It's it's the absolute awesomest, coolest sword there is. Um, so you know, me 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 wanting to get into me wanting to get into armor, I basically have those very simplistic plays along with the guards, right? Um, so to expand my knowledge, obviously, I was looking at Fiore because Fiore's got all the dope pole action as well. But um, Anonimo was was directly where I went for, directly where I went for when I was like, okay, I want to do armor. Um, I need to have a little bit of a bigger bigger and more complex repertoire if I'm going to be fencing uh, with a poleaxe and. Oh, it's fucking nasty. I love it. <laughs> uh, I, I think it was Stephen Freitas who was like, stab him in the dick. <laughs> yes, just stab him in the dick. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the the other the other person I've been looking to as well is uh, is Pedro Monte. Um, oh, nice, yeah, because yeah, because because Monte's got a lot of really cool stuff for poleaxe as well, uh, and and his his Levada with with the poleaxe just also really speaks to me because it's so straightforward and it combos into each other just so beautifully. Yeah, I need to I actually need to get uh, Mike Pendergast on on the podcast and talk to him about uh, Monte because he's got like. I took his Monty class um, mm -hmm. when I was at uh, Lord Baltimore's challenge um, back in, I guess it was 2018, maybe 19. I can't remember. It was, you know, the before times. But A long, he, long ago, yes. Yes. <laughs> so he, but his class was like uh, super interesting because he basically took, um, you know, like one of the things that he had explained, and I would love to, this is what I want to talk to him about is just um, taking the sword and one hand plays. And he's, he was talking about how this basically translates into most, it's basically Monty's system. Like he teaches the same thing with most of the weapons. And once you really understand his concept for one weapon, you'll understand all of them. Um, and yeah, those, those like cuts from below are just so nasty. And then just yeah. like turning that point over. Um, and the way that he he taught it was it was super fascinating so um so um i'm going to make a quick little announcement um that will will be an assistance for you in the future um but um coming out in early october mid-october uh, myself and ian davis have finished writing a book um oh, that cool. is all on body uh it's going to be called wielding the light of mars um and it is my commentary in Ian's uh, translation of the book with full color images along with uh, plates describing all the actions that are present in Vadi um, along with a video series dedicated to um, for, for people that buy the book um, to see all the actions me going through all of them um, and yeah. part of that um, is detailing Monty's Levada of the two-handed sword because in the 15th chapter, chapter of Vadi, he makes reference to a fencer who uses two rising blows on both sides, yeah. which um, is 
in my opinion, very clearly throwing some shade at a, a certain man who was working in the court of Urbino, um, a gig that he wanted to land. Um, so uh, Ian is is big into Monty as well. And so uh, one of the last IGXs I was at, we got the chance to fence with an appropriately sized sword for him and an appropriate sized sword for me doing Monty versus Vadi. And the the description of what Vadi tells you to do against a person who uses those two rising blows seem seamlessly transitioned into exactly what, what, what the text says. Um, so whether that be in reverence to a guy who was called uh, by Castiglione, like the, like the, the fucking, the most ballerist man in all of the most ballerist uh, man at arms in all of Italy um, is, is obviously uh, up in the air because we don't have any like strict evidence outside of this theory and, and the book that we got. Um, but be, because of that um, relation, I have focused on, and because of the book, I focused on learning more about uh, the Lovada. And, and we actually do have a section at the back dedicated specifically to teaching somebody who wants to learn it uh, and a translation of the Lovada of the Sword in Two Hands. That sounds freaking amazing. Like, I, I am so excited for that to come out. I will, I will absolutely <laughs> buy a copy. Um, you, you did. <laughs> I'll get, yeah. Wow. That's, um, I can't wait. That's super exciting. That like I'm, like I can't even express how excited I am to get it, my hands on that and get through it. Because like I said, you know that's my goal right now is I'm going back and doing Fiore and Vadi and, you know, I mean, that's going to be a fantastic resource. First of all, um, the fact that you guys found that connection and have been working through that connection, uh, to me, just excites my nerve so much. Like, <laughs> I, like it just makes me so happy. Um, so that's uh and I, i'm happy for you too because that's a, a great accomplishment and you know that's got to feel really good and and you you deserve it because you know you've been you've been the vadi master going around <laughs> spreading spreading the good word of vadi to every corner of of the world so yeah man it's gonna be tight <laughs> yeah um, uh but yeah, no, the, 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 those rising blows are so nasty. Oh my god! Like, especially because like rising blows like that are just so uncommon in in like like modern modern longsword fencing today. Um, and obviously, Monty calls for a sword that's like bigger, like you know, like height of your eyebrows, your nose area in terms of its length. Um, but they they worked just fine with the longsword and having more folks spend time with 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 those sources i think will will make for a more diverse uh degree of fencing across across uh, wh whoever decides to buy it <laughs> um yeah i've you know for i've gone back and forth with my interpretation of um you know the second chapter of Marazzo's two-handed sword where he mm -hmm. starts with those two rising blows and if he is trying to emulate monty and with that action where he throws those two rising cuts. I know a lot of people have kind of, it, it seems like the, the. Oh. Oh. He froze. Oh no. Oh no. In mind of how Monty does that, I can see that there could potentially be a tactical um advantage to doing something like that 
Well, if, if, if you, if you think about it, right. Um, when you're, when you're doing those, when you're doing those two blows, um, I, and, and a question does, does Maratza specify whether they're true edge or false edge rising? I think he says you throw uh, rising falses one from the right and one from the left. Okay. So, um, you know, th this is, this is something I, I, I came to understand from, from doing it, but, uh, those, 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 those two rising falses that you do when, when you're entering into measure are so great. And number one, covering and protecting your hands. Like you, you have so much blade in front of you that, uh, that like, you don't have to worry about getting tagged really at all when you're, when you're coming up and you're going into the second one. Um, and they, they cover, so much distance when you're closing in with both of them that they just give you so many beautiful setups to 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 work mezzospada or or even stay working in largo if you just hit them on the first on the first or the second that you you can you can really combo into whatever else you want to do after you get them done there there there's there's a reason monty monty does them and and it works beautifully yeah and to just kind of help uh, enlighten a few people who don't understand what the Levada is basically, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but, um, you start with the true edge and you turn your hands over to the false edge, right? As you're yep. doing the cut. So you do the same thing on both sides and it's that turn of the wrist where you're snapping the false edge over. Um, and that's, that's basically what you were, you were describing, um, in terms of that coverage, because you do get that turnover, um, which kind of helps to protect the hands. Yep. Absolutely. That, that, that is exactly on point. Yeah. Yeah, we need more Monty practitioners. That'd be fantastic. And ah, man, Hema's so cool, isn't it? Like, yeah, it, no, it's, it's fucking like, awesome. <laughs> every time I think that I, I've got like some sort of a settled idea, I always end up finding a, a rabbit hole that, or, or a rabbit trail that I end up following and then finding something that's even more cool. Or somebody tells me something that's super cool, like you tell me that you're doing this project. And then I'm just like, all right. I'm going to head down that way too. This is fantastic. I've got so much stuff to do. I just don't have enough time to do it. Yeah. If only we could just do sword fighting and nothing else. <laughs> I, I try to make it so that way. That's, that's kind of like my goal. Like I, uh, I, I actually just went back to, to work at the hospital just recently. So I had more time during the week and, and now, you know, I only work three days a week. I only work weekends, but I work, you know, my 40 hours in those three days a week, but it gives me four days off a week. Yep. And I'm like, that's worth it to me, you know, more time I, to do all the stuff I want to do. I'm, I'm on the same schedule. I work, I work three twelves. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we live the good life, sir. We live the good life. Um, so, I mean, we've kind of, what, what, I know, I mean, you've, you've definitely refined your, your body uh, interpretations really well in terms of not only being able to take them practically into um, tournaments, but also to really condense them in ways where you're teaching people practically how to do these things and fantastic workshops. Um, I've taken your hipster longsword workshop a few times, um, and it's it's a great um, it's a great class. I mean, if anybody has an opportunity to to take that class with Connor, um, you are missing out if you don't. Whatever else you're doing is not as important. I, I guarantee <laughs> you. Um, but uh, that said, um, you know, a lot of people see the finished product and they don't see the challenges that really kind of build into that finished product. Um, so, so what are some of the challenges that you faced in developing your interpretations and how have you overcome? Well, uh, that is a beautiful question. Um, and, you know, 
the thing about HEMA and, and in my opinion, the beauty of it is that we are all working towards this goal that we will inevitably never really fully know if it's correct or not, right? Um, and we are just trying our best to collaborate and share um, and like use this crucible of, of tournaments and conversation and research to break apart the things that um, are unnecessary or are, uh, are in some cases flat out wrong and keep that which is central to our primary thrust in in all that we do um you know and and i struck a lot of dead ends getting through all this stuff you know and and in in my opinion you know my relationship with failure has changed greatly because of the fact that i have um that I've, I've undertaken HEMA and because I've tried to like mold this, uh, this like book, uh, towards what I believe it to be its canonical conclusion, at least in some way. And that never ends and, and, and it never will. Um, and you know, I find some, I, I find some beauty in that permanence of that. It is always a goal that is being fine tuned and tweaked and changed as more information comes to light or parts of it die off and are clipped. Like, uh, like, like you're manicuring a, a, a plant or, or a rose bush, whatever, what, what have you. Right. Um, and you know, part of that was me being okay with, um, with, uh, with, with, with failure, right. With me going out there and, uh, competing in tournaments using techniques that I had just really like gotten like a working interpretation of in my own brain, practicing it and free fencing and then taking it to a tournament and being okay with losing with those interpretations. A perfect example of that, um, is when I was working on what I, what I uh, what, what I like to call the proto impuntanto in in Vadi. Um, he has this um, action where he says, you know, and if you want to and if you want to make him feel the point, um, let fly your reverso, turning it um, turning it crosswise with the false edge to the throat, right? Um, and for 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 me, you know, I I didn't really know what a false impuntanto was, so I did not have that kind of like latch on point until very recently to be like, oh, these things are very similar. Um, so I went through a variety of different ideas on how that works. I went through uh, uh, like an idea that it's like this single tempo or like counter time action where like you cross your wrists and you throw it at your opponent, like as they're doing a strike against you and you stick the point shield how ish you could, you could say. Um, and that ended up not being able to, to land a point at all. It set me up great for a, for a counter action after it was parried, right? Because my wrists were crossed. I was able to do a rotare, like a stromazzone to the opposite side to cut to the hands or the head or whatever the case may be. But I was never able to accomplish at all sticking the point the way I was until, until the, the past like two years when I discovered this, um, this turning of the sword after you get the reverso into uh, Breve Longhezza, which I guess you could call uh, uh, Guardia d'Entrar if we're comparing it to, to the Bolognese sources. It's, it's very similar. Yep, mm -hmm, just like that. Um, and 
you know, I, that, 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 that caught me a lot of lumps when I was working with it. You know, like I remember distinctly, I was fencing against Chris Smoot in uh, capital clash and I threw this cut at him and he threw a shield how at me. And because of the mechanics of how your hands are in that particular position, it's a very weak position against an overbind. And so when I threw it, my front hand popped off of my sword and then he came uh, and then I tried to cover myself with, with my sword just on uh, with, with my hand just on my pommel by bringing my my sword up and he came back up and my sword went flying into the fucking air <laughs> and i i went like ah threw my hands up and he thought i was trying to grapple him so he just conked me straight on the head um you know uh, working working with working with the guards is another example you know in in vadi like your two predominant high guards are posta vera finestra and uh, posta frontal which are basically like um your ox finestra ish hands high point forward but instead it, it it like being like point high and i couldn't for the fucking life of me figure out how to throw a fendente for that for years for years i was just like how am i supposed to do this and it took me just like hours of of cutting just just doing like cutting in in free fencing cutting at home um trying to to fence uh, in those positions strictly in tournaments just hours and hours of, of trying to make those things work um, until I finally figured out how to get it done, you know, and, and, you know, part of that process, it, it changes your relationship with failure. The, the, the other thing is too, is like having hypothesis and, and ideas about who the masters were in the first place. You know, we don't know jack shit about who body is. We got like four different guys who we could be <laughs> really, really two now, maybe, maybe three, but like, you know, struggling looking at court documents or like 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 trying to find records and in, in archives in italy and and like researching forum posts from however long you know they, these all of these things make for this uh simulcrum that we now have that we bring to each other when we decide to fence and um you know that that that, that process takes love uh for what you're doing and and being okay with it being wrong and then moving past it that's what I would say. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, I, I've got nothing to add to that because it was perfect. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll just relate a similar anecdote in, in that this is actually one of the things that I love about HEMA um, in terms of, and I think this goes for any martial art, but true for HEMA in my journey as because it is the only martial art that I have uh, similar to you right is that um, going through that same process of uh, learning to live with failure and learning to live with um, you know basically um, kind of recreating myself through failure and and testing myself to points where I do fail with the intention of making myself better has actually translated into other areas of my life and made me a better person in that regard um, and like, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about this, this journey and this path that we're on is that like, it, it really does help you to shape out the things that uh, your deficiencies in, in so many different areas. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic because it, you know, it's, it serves my nerd. It serves my, yep. it serves my, my wanting to, you know, just do something physical and, and, and get out there and, and uh, 
test myself not only from a mental standpoint but my body as well and then it just it makes me a better person and it, it's just full of the best people it really is like the For diversity of humor sure. is one of the coolest things that i've ever experienced in my entire life this is one of the best communities um and uh and it's it's cool it's really cool yeah um the the other thing is too is um becoming a teacher on top of that like um you know when i first got into this i wanted to learn swords i never thought that i would be here talking with you about this right now if you would have asked me five years ago if i, if I would have been you know discussing all of these complex and arcane things on a on a podcast and and like researching all the stuff as deeply as they had but not even just researching it but teaching it to other people i i, I don't think i would have an answer for you you know um and not even just um teaching it but but molding a curriculum and figuring out how to how to impart these uh, complex and dense topics and unpack them to other people so that they can understand it, interface with it, and not just that, but take them and do them the way that you do them too is just such a journey, such a, such a beautiful thing. Um, and making that available and free for everybody who decides to show up at your door uh, has been has been something that has been has been transforming for myself as well. Um, you know, we we underwent a, a pretty big shift in terms of curriculum um, at uh, at PCFG post pandemic. You know, where we not even just like uh, reformatted the structure of our class, but switched to focus entirely. You know, where now we're doing like two months of long sword, two months of side sword, but also instead of us teaching Fiore as like a, an intro to, to, to long sword, we are going straight, straight into body uh, off the bat, you know, and, and learning how to convey those concepts and get people comfortable with getting hit with hitting other people um, uh, through the medium of using sparring games and like foam swords has been has been awesome because now my students two three months in are doing canonical actions um that like just 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 make my heart sing <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and and a lot of that takes just like straight up trial and error and and listening to other people who have been uh maybe not even just doing this for for longer than you have you know listening to the wisdom of, of people who have been teaching for a long time is 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 part of that but getting other perspectives and being okay with taking those perspectives and molding them into what you do as well yeah definitely so um what what is something that you think that we as a community can improve upon to better reflect the sources in our fencing especially since you are such a historically you know uh, dependent fencer um, what, what's something you want to see the the general community improve on um well hmm, tough question uh i i think that like generally speaking the biggest thing that um that can be done is is getting in touch with those instructors you know forming networks um in your local area uh whether if you have clubs nearby you know and and just cross cross-referencing with other people asking what their opinions are on specific things and and trying to trying to um 
come to grips with understanding these techniques and these uh, tactical frameworks that we that we're trying to pull from the ether and pull from the sources. Um, you're not alone. You're not. You got so many folks that'd be more than willing to to reach out and help you. And I know that's a, that's a very anxiety driving thing, but you got you got folks out there that are willing to help you. The the other thing that we can do as well um, is, you know, I, I I think I think the biggest thing is being okay with um, with losing and then reformatting what your ideas are afterwards. You know. Even if even if I go out there and I end up 20th last place, whatever the case may be, I know I'm fencing the way that my book tells me to. And, um, you know, it, at, the, at the end of the day, the, the medals and the shiny things at tournaments are, are fucking sick. And I'm glad that people can get them. And I'm so um, thankful to event organizers for doing all the herculean work that they do to make sure that 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 things run as smoothly as they do. Um but being true to what you do, um, whatever the case may be, whether that's Fiore, Vadi, Marazzo, um, RDL, Meyer, and going out there and looking, looking like you're like you're doing the thing, uh, we need more of that. <laughs> yeah. Easier said than done. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you know, I mean, I, I can't agree more than just you know i mean in terms of it does take it it takes courage you know to to step in and i mean i think that people still try to do like historically relevant techniques in their fencing but like you said just you know taking it to that that step of just like you know make it look like you're really trying to fence in a historical way you know um I love that because I, you know, I, I understand people's idea of like, well, is that necessary to approach the fight in that way and then progress? And my answer is yes, absolutely. I understand people's reasoning that they can still do the actions that they want to do from, you know, approaching it in a different way. But I mean, one, it just looks amazing. Right. Like, I mean, it looks incredible and it's, if that's what we're trying to recreate, then why not make it look as close to that as possible? You know, I mean, you're not in some way doing something that's um, ahistorical. You're doing something that's hyper historical and it might not look as modern or cool to a modern person. It, they might think that it looks a little egregious in some way but like you said like um and i know that this is we're recording this before the episode with uh devin borman comes out but i will give you a spoiler here um and then you know everybody else who listens to this one will have hopefully already listened to that one and they'll know what i'm talking about so you know one of the things that he was talking about is like we have to understand the context of what it means to be an italian gentleman when we're looking at these texts right and so much of that is is basically posturing, um, and and talking to Kurt, bringing him back up, you know, he's he's done a lot of research in terms of the psychology of fighting and things like that, um, and he constantly references one book uh, called uh, um, the, 
uh, what is it? The Art of Killing, I think, or something like that. It's yeah, ridiculous. I know which one you're talking about. I know it. Yeah, like On Killing or something like that. It's On written, Killing. I, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so and it was written by a, a Marine Corps lieutenant colonel, and um, basically the one of the things that he talks about in the book um, is that the the United States military did a a study um, during World War II because um, there was this. Uh, after I think it was the, after the Normandy invasion, uh, they were basically lining up the number of bullets that were fired with the number of casualties that were sustained. And um, basically what they found is um, the accuracy totals for men in combat didn't match up with the accuracy totals from basic training, right? And so they were like, what's the, what's the disconnect here? Because it went from something like 40% down to like 3% which is ridiculous. Right. And so they were like, all right, so what, what's the disconnect? Why are we, why are we using so much ammunition? What they ended up finding um, from interviewing soldiers who were involved in the battle is that a lot of the times um, the natural inclination for people who are involved in a combat situation is to posture. So they'll shoot over somebody's head to make them keep their head down. So they don't actually have to kill them because most people don't have the capacity to kill somebody. Right. It's only like 2% of the population that can actually kill somebody like without any sort of like major psychological trauma. Um, and so uh, because we're not psychopaths, humans naturally, um, because it is, it is a defiance of the human nature to be able to, um, you know, unempathically kill somebody, what we will tend to do is to posture, right? And you take that into a hyper like cultural context where your manliness needs to be on display. Um, and uh, forgive me for leaving out the ladies here, but your ladiness can be on display as well. Um, and, and everyone's um, prowess can be on display, I should say. Um, so you're displaying your prowess. Let me say it that way. You're displaying your prowess and you're, you're coming into this engagement um, and you are posturing. You're showing that, you know, you, you're showing your skill, you're showing your technical proficiency, um, and you're communicating to your opponent that this isn't going to be easy, you know, and that means a lot. Um, and if we can take that into, into a modern context, it still has the same effect. Like I, you watch somebody like start to move in that way and just like really kind of like move their body and you see like how smooth they are in their transitions between different guards and like how threatening they look. And you just think to yourself, this is going to be a tough fight, right? <laughs> I mean, who doesn't think that? Um, well, you know, uh, looking at secondary and like tertiary sources are, is so important to us, like to understanding that, that, that concept. I've been, I've been loving uh, being subscribed to Michael Chittister's uh, Patreon where oh, he's yeah. been going through Pozo. Yeah. It's so sick. I love reading about all of these weird dueling clauses, um, you know, uh, and, and another thing that you touched on there is like um, uh, gender constructs in the sources, right? Um, which like you know we we it, it's 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 important to understand that shit because it informs the entirety of the you know, the entirety of the uh, of the art and we're we're th thankfully now in a place where it doesn't matter uh as much um what you got going on if uh, if you're coming out there and you're showing your skill you're showing your technical ability um that's what people see 
and yeah. it's it's a it's a beautiful thing because swords are for fucking everybody. It That's does right. it doesn't matter who you are. Swords are for everybody, and Hema is for everybody. And you know, like like you were saying before, we got a wonderful community that that protects and uplifts people of color and 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 the LGBT. Q plus community and you see beautiful fencing uh, from people of all stripes all backgrounds and and uh you know it's 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 fucking sick it's awesome that we've that we've uh we're it's it's obviously a thing that will be ongoing and it's a difficult it's a difficult road to pass but um you know uh i i've seen fencers that are non-binary do beautiful amazing and incredible work like um uh, Izzy, I can't remember. Uh, 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 Izzy Baden Payne is yeah. yeah is a fucking oh beautiful fencer. I love watching them fight. They move with elegance and grace with everything they do. Um, Tanya Smith does a uh, mean sword and buckler, you know, and like all of these people exemplify their arts. Um, and uh, the other thing is that they understand the context of it all. Um, so you know it 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 it's i love hema <laughs> i do too i do too I, you know i i fought izzy baden Payne um at lord baltimore's challenge and they when i fought them in the first exchange we fought in pools and i ended up um getting a really good um technique on them where I was able to basically parry with a false edge, wind up over and come through. I mean, basic, basic bull and yeah. ace, just false yeah. edge, wind, right? And come in and got him. And, uh, and then I fought them in the, um, in the elimination rounds. And I started to get that same technique. And they basically just drove my point down and then started to wind around, came around and got a grapple on me and just completely destroyed me in the exchange. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear you. Oh. Oh. Little side sword event um, where, I mean, we probably, I mean, we were probably at like our eighth or ninth intention in a continuous fight, like not, not like breaking apart and then coming back together. Like we were just exchanging cuts and winds and, and, and thrusts and things like that in the continuation of this process without really kind of leaving each other's presence. Um, and they, they ended up just pulling off this fantastic technique at the end and, and got me. Um, and it was a first blood tournament. I wish I could have had more exchanges with them, but it didn't unfortunately fall that way but it was incredible it was just absolutely incredible so you're you're absolutely right and um yeah Hema's awesome uh, <laughs> uh I, i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to think of uh, how to follow that up um <laughs> uh, sorry you're you're all good you're all good side, it's just, it's just i love talking about like great fights especially when it comes to like side sword fights you know it's like I don't get a fight a lot of people with side sword, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it's 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 a damn shame that it's not a bigger thing on the East Coast. But uh, that 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 brings me that brings me back um, uh, to to talking about uh, modern modern uh, modern Hema fencing. Um, so okay. um, you know uh, the, the the other thing that I think is important to remember is that um, it is it is okay if you start off not looking like the books, like 
true yeah yes. if if you if you go back and you look at my first tournament long point 2017 in the rookie pools uh i was stuck on doing this weird boar's tooth posture where i looked like an old man with a rake uh <laughs> <laughs> um and uh you know that that that's that's talking from a low skill level, but from a high skill level too. You know where where folks have figured out what works for them, and they go out there and they do it. And you know it's this collection of of various different sources that they've combined together into this working framework that works for them in in uh, in in, uh, in modern tournament too. That's fine. That's okay. You're doing you're doing your thing, and 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 going out there and and showing what you got. Um, even if it doesn't look like your your Ardo Famo or Adam Franti, um, when you're fencing, ain't wrong either, um, you know. Uh, and like, yeah, that, yeah. that that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> no, that, that's that's a really great point, and and I agree. Yeah. So let me clarify my my previous statement because I I, I understand where you're coming from with this, and that it might discourage people, um, and you're right in that it is you've got to start somewhere right yep like and it's okay um because i think you also did um a rally open in 2017 didn't you yeah and i looked like shit <laughs> See, that's what you think right like i mean you didn't do great in the tournament but i remember watching you because that was that was the first tournament I HEMA tournament I ever attended. Ooh, you know, okay. I didn't all I, I didn't actually fight in the tournament, but I volunteered because that was a TSG event, and um, so I just did scorekeeping. But I remember seeing you warming up, and I was like, "Wow, those guys look like that's really interesting what they're doing." You know, like I mean, the way that you guys were moving was intentionally trying to make it look more historical, and it was different <laughs> a lot of everything else that i had i was seeing that was there um you know there were a lot of different approaches to, to how to approach the fight there um i remember thinking though that at the time that i thought that you were i, I was not aware of of vadi i don't know if you were doing vadi at that point i was not <laughs> or maybe you were doing fiori but i i, I, was. I think <clears throat> i lo remember watching like the continuation of movement i was like huh they must be doing Meyer. Which is, I, I don't know why that was in my head, but I had I had it in my head that you were a Myrist until I found out that you were doing Vadi, and then I learned more about Vadi, and then I was just like, oh, I see, I see. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, sometimes the perception of uh, self-perception is not always the same as, as perception of other people around you. Um, and just being making a, a concerted effort to, you know, even if you have to do it constrained within a box of your understanding, um, still making the effort sometimes will leave an impression on other people the way that you left an impression on me. Very true. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, up in Philly, <laughs> Do you guys have any events that you guys end up holding or hosting or anything like that? I know that the the pandemic is still, you know, quite quite the the hot topic at the time. But uh, 
Yeah, well, I don't know if we're going to be running anything in the in the near future. Um, we had Revolution Rumble, which was going to be our our, our our first breakout onto the uh, onto the tournament scene, but that has gone in the wash along with everybody else's plans. Um, but for now, we do not have any events. Um, but um, you know, COVID pending, uh, I am going to be traveling around and hopefully taking the Vadi Roadshow with me. Um, Sweet. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be teaching uh, a class on uh, on mezzotempo and um, the tactical um, the tactical view of the fight um, uh, from Vadi's perspective up at IGX Iron Gate Exhibition um, in October. Um, I'm going to be missing y'all for for October Effect, which I'm very sad about. I'm very very sad about um, trying trying to get those trying to get those switches for weekends is 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 a tough Daddy. is a tough thing, but. Um, yes. Uh, I, I will, I will be coming down there at some point. I gotta know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can go ahead. I, I got a, a confirmation from Greg Millay that he's going to be down here next year for October effect. So nice. maybe that's the year to do it. Maybe that will be. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so is that in the future plans though? Or are you guys going to start hosting events and things like that other than, uh, Eventually, we we hope so. Yes, um, but up now, right now, everything is up to the nebulous future. <laughs> so, outside of in-person events, the Vadi Roadshow, um, are you guys gonna are you gonna be doing anything that's digital that people can access and kind of um, attain if they, you know, can't travel? Well, you know, I got the Hipster Longsword series on the Sinestra channel that folks can check out if they're interested in learning some more about Vadi. Uh, got Wielding the Light of Mars um, that's going to be coming out um, beginning of October, mid-October, somewhere around there. Um, and along with that will be a video series that's uh, in the book for, for, for folks to check out if they, uh, if they need that additional little smidge to help them get through. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Um, now, if people want to support Hipster Longsword, is there any way that they can um, give you any sort of uh, financial backing, or is it just something that you do pro bono and for free and for the better of the community? Uh, that is something that uh, funny. Funny you say that. Um, you know, I was spurred on by folks um, being. Um, Put, put, putting themselves out on a limb and putting their interpretations out on YouTube and other things. And so Hipster Longsword is uh, is my way of giving back to the folks that were kind enough to do that. So um, if you if you like and subscribe to me, that'd be great. You know, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll um, you put a, a link in the show notes so people can find it because it is it is amazing. It's it's an incredible channel um, and it's it's hilarious in, in your own way. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, just something that I absolutely love. Um, it's like Steve Zissou doing uh, Longsword. I that's like my favorite Wes Anderson movie too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's incredible. So it's good stuff. Yeah, that's pretty much it, my friend. Awesome, awesome. Do you have any final thoughts or anything else that you want to discuss? Um. Uh, listen to more Learte del Army. JD's podcast is fucking awesome. Please go into the back catalog. Please listen to it. Uh, it has helped me inform my Bolognese fencing so, 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 so much. You've done an incredible job of collecting this uh, wide assortment of, 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 of experts and, and instructors. And um, it's been my guiding light through this new journey that I've been on. Um, 
you know, please go check out uh, uh, Chicago Swordplay Guild's channel uh, for yes. for their um, Spot of Sola stuff. It's all fantastic, wonderful. Please check out um, Martin's uh, Shieldwalk of Potsdam stuff too. It, Martin's done an incredible job um, of of conveying a lot of this stuff in in DL Gokier. Um and uh, yeah, see y'all in the future. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, uh, Connor, thanks. Uh, thanks again for coming on. And um, it was a pleasure, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, my friend. And that concludes another episode of Lerte del Arme, the Bolognese podcast. That was such a fun conversation with Connor. Um, both fun and uh, enlightening at the same time. And uh, I, I think that perfectly encompasses Connor's uh, personality and and you know, documents it for the future, uh, which I think is just absolutely perfect because, you know, that's really who he is as a person. Um, and uh, can't thank him enough for coming on and, and doing this with me because uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, next week's guest is going to be Bill Grandy. Um, Bill is uh, not traditionally a, a Bolognese fencer, um, but he does dabble in the Bolognese systems and likes to look at Manchiolino. Um the cool thing about Bill is he is a uh, incredibly experienced uh, fencing instructor, um, and uh, not just with uh, historical martial arts, but also um, Olympic fencing. So um, I'm really excited to get his perspective on um, the overall uh, connections that we can draw between historical and modern fencing, and then um, also just his impressions of Manchiolino and the things that he's done, because he's created some, real, some really great content. Uh, when he has decided to take a look at the Bolognese system and and dabble and, and play with it. So um, really looking forward to that conversation. Um, so, you know, as always, stay tuned for that and stay saucy, my friends. <laughs>